This is Paul Dalby with More Front Wing. I'm here with Holman and Company CEO Mark Miles. Mark, thanks so much for taking some time to join us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mark, let's start with some of your, your duties as, as CEO. We'll kind of get uh, right into some of the divisions of duty, specifically, obviously, uh, with your responsibilities toward IndyCar. Uh, talk us through a little bit about what you see as your responsibilities and your duties uh, in the IndyCar world, and maybe a little bit of how how your 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 duties differ from those of perhaps Brian Barnhart or Derek Walker, who are who work below you. Sure. Um, well, I think of it slightly more broadly than just IndyCar. So hopefully you'll you'll have a little patience and let me explain that. But, Please, absolutely. Um, home company, privately owned company, owns both the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well as IndyCar, as I'm sure most of your uh, your uh, fans know. And what we've done this year is uh, made some organizational changes. So in effect, we're this is not an external name, but internally we're we're presiding over Holman Motorsports, which is the combination of the Speedway and all that happens there, and IndyCar. Um, in addition, the Holman Company owns IMS Productions, a television and radio production company, which produces our racing uh, for both ABC and NBC, but also a lot of other events from basketball to rodeo and bull riding and the like. So my role is uh, is to set strategy um, and make sure we got the right people in the right seats on the staff to optimize the success of all of that. With respect to IndyCar in particular, we've got three people who report directly to me that really form the senior leadership of IndyCar and, and to some extent also um, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has some of their functions. So Derek Walker is the president of competition and operations for IndyCar. So everything technical, everything competition, everything operations at the track, the development of our of our racing and our cars, our rules, that all uh, reports up to Derek Walker. And people like Bo and Brian report up to uh, through me, to me, through um, Derek. In addition, then, we have two new senior people basically that uh, run the commercial side of both IndyCar racing and IMS. One is C.J. O'Donnell, the lifetime Ford marketing and sales guy, responsible for international global marketing for Jaguar when Ford uh, made that acquisition, um, Mazda and, uh, and other uh, brands in the Ford family. He joined us just after Thanksgiving. So he's got everything that's marketing and communications for IndyCar and for that matter, for the Speedway as well. And then finally, Jay Fry, who NASCAR people would know, insofar as he was uh, responsible for and a part owner of the Red Bull team there most recently, uh, and probably in other teams prior to that, a superstar, I think. He's responsible at IndyCar and for IMS for all of our sales and licensing activities. We call him Chief Revenue Officer. So those three people report to me, and uh, collectively, we would form the senior leadership team for, for IndyCar and the 
the functions of the Annapolis Motor Speedway from a commercial point of view. Speaking of the commercial point of view and and, and bringing money in, and maybe this is a uh, a topic more for Mr. O'Donnell, but when it comes to sponsorship, that's one of the areas that that IndyCar has has been suffering the last several years. What do you feel is your role in being able to bring in sponsors, not only for the series, for IndyCar, for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but to help some of the teams as well who are also struggling to bring in sponsorships these years? Right. So that's the key responsibility of Jay Fry, Chief Revenue Officer. C.J. O'Donnell has marketing and communication. Jay and I um, together set a strategy. We defined the kinds of companies that we're looking uh, to form partnerships with uh, as traditional sponsorships and also eventually to try to find the additional uh, engine manufacturer for the series. Um, and our role, will, first of all, was to hire Jay. Uh, secondly, to uh, agree on the kinds of companies we're looking for. And ultimately, um, he and I will be involved personally in um, talking with any major prospective sponsor. The good news there is uh, we've been quiet this year, but um, right now there's a very, uh, I would say, almost frenetic activity. There's a lot of great conversations going on about sponsorship of IndyCar from title uh, through other category uh, sponsors. And I'm very bullish about our prospects for adding sponsors uh, in the coming weeks and months. Now, you mentioned a title sponsor. The series has recently lost IZOD, as, as our fans know, as, as the title sponsor of the IndyCar series. I know you can't tell us that you know there's one coming next week or next month or within the next six months, but do you feel like good progress is being made towards securing a title sponsor? Probably not for 14, but maybe as soon as 2015? I think great progress is being made, and I'd be disappointed if we don't have a title sponsor on board in 2014. Oh, great. So, yeah, we're, we're very optimistic about that. we got a couple of serious, uh, um, you know, advanced conversations going on, and none of these things are over till they're oval, over. Sorry for the oval slip up there, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, no, it, it, it's, it's encouraging, and these are great organizations that we'd be pleased to partner with. Very well. Um, on that note of sponsors, I had a conversation with Roger Curtis last week at, uh, at PRI, uh, who's, of course, the president at Michigan International Speedway, and we were talking about sponsorships. And he actually made an interesting comment to me that said the, the loss of IZOD isn't going to hurt IndyCar near as much as some of the other sponsors who had done a better job of activating. He specifically mentioned GoDaddy, uh, the loss of GoDaddy and their activation. Um, what is the key from, what do you see as the key to, to getting some of these sponsors a bit more involved? And he talked about Verizon, Wireless, and GoPro uh, were two sponsors that he had specifically mentioned. And he talked about how it seems that these two sponsors are really carrying the load of of the activation for the IndyCar series. How do you get another sponsor to really buy in and activate their, their investment? Um, I, I think it's hard work, and that's exactly what we're engaged in right now. You have to be, you know, skilled at and deliberate about um, being clear on what your brand attributes are 
and um, identifying companies where there's a fit and uh, companies that have the, ultimately the resources, the desire to activate. And then you have to, you have to have a balanced approach to those companies. Uh, there are sponsorship deals in sports where almost all the resources to change hands go to support the league itself or, or the car, if you will, in our case. Um, there are others where uh, a, a greater percentage of the resources being allocated by the sponsor are spent on activation. So it comes down to the careful targeting, selecting and targeting of the prospective partner and then making the kind of deal that uh, encourages their investment in the promotion of sport. I think that is an area where we have uh, not come close to our potential and a, a big opportunity for us. Now, one of the areas that we hear constantly is, is making it difficult to attract sponsorships are the struggling TV numbers that the series is dealing with right now, uh, particularly on NBC Sports Network that's, that still has a, a bit of a limited uh, availability to, to viewers. How do you, how do the teams or how does the series overcome that reality of the struggling TV numbers when they're asking sponsors for you know five six million dollars a year in total if not more than that? How do you go to a sponsor and show them the the good return when these when such an important metric is really struggling? Well, it is, it's a reality that um, our television audience is not as strong as. It, it, we want it to be and, and ultimately need it to be. But we have a very different strength, and that's really the immediate answer to your question, and that is um, we are a great showcase for technology and for customer experience and for business-to-business -business opportunities. So the reality is right now uh, we're going to be targeting more com those companies that want to showcase themselves as technology companies uh, and is a broadly would be a broadly defined term, and companies that see the, uh, the I think unbelievably uh, cool uh, intimate opportunity at IndyCar races to get close to the action, get into the pits, get close to the you know the teams, the garages, and the drivers, and that's a that's a sensational experience. Even our two seater program is an example of that where you get to really come as close as you could possibly come to experience what it'd be like to be behind the wheel of a IndyCar. So we can create an experience that the right companies value because it allows them uh, unique customer entertainment and customer sales development opportunities that you can't get from, for example, I think of a, a sport like the NFL, which offers much, much larger audiences in in the, the channel media, but much more limited opportunities for customer entertainment and the like. And, and I think that's our strength, and it's valuable, and we're going to take advantage of that while we uh, go about growing our television audience. Let me ask you about something that maybe is slightly outside of your direct uh, realm of responsibility, but that when it comes to transparency in the sport, and I guess it kind of goes back to sponsorship a little bit. What is your feeling from the from the, the the top of the org chart about transparency? Is it 
is full transparency within the sport ultimately good for it? Um, and with that transparency, do you run the risk of scaring some of these very difficult to secure sponsorships away? Somewhat like what we saw in NASCAR last year when, when uh, Michael Walter Racing really suffered some setbacks uh, with their sponsorship as a result of some of the infractions that were very publicly uh, displayed after the Richmond race. Is, is that a balancing act uh, with that IndyCar needs to look at, or do you think the more transparency across the board, the better? I think it's a reality. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's almost academic to debate it. Uh, and I think of it on two levels. Uh, the one you're talking about is really the way the sport relates to its fans and the public, and more is generally better. Um, uh you know, I, you can look at other sports where officials are on the air explaining officiating decisions. Um, there are all kinds of examples where the way uh, the, the fan experience is today, the way technology enables um, information to flow, there really isn't any option but transparency, and I think we just embrace that. And, and I see it as largely as content. It's more for fans to understand and to follow and to debate and to curse or, you know, or praise, whatever the case may be. That's part of the sport. It's dramatic, and it's not um, pat, cut and dry stuff. On another level, when I think of transparency, I think of the league's serious relationship with um, our stakeholders, and particularly with the teams, drivers, and promoters. We expect to be much better communicators and much more transparent. Um, and, and and that's, again, that's work and time invested in communicating, but it's uh, aligning our stakeholders more closely, getting them pulling from the same oars to grow the sport is important, and the starting point for gaining that trust is transparency. You touched about on something just a moment ago when talking about sponsors of how IndyCar presents a good uh, a good platform for them to to show off new technology. And this is an area you and I had touched on in a conversation a week or so ago uh, about this dichotomy that exists between those fans and within the series who want to see it go back to a technology-driven and innovative series versus those that are satisfied with, with the phenomenal product that's on track now. How does the series walk that tightrope? Uh, going forward and over, let's say, the next five years? Because there's, I think there are a lot of people that would like to see innovation come back, but you have, as we had said, that the product on track is as good now as it's ever been, and the reality is innovation costs money. And right now, there, there's, there's just not that much money to drive that innovation. How does the series balance those? Well, you ask great questions. Let, let me make a first point and then go to really the heart of your question. Earlier when I was talking about technology, I want to make sure it was clear, I was primarily talking about um, technology applied uh, to the fan experience, mm -hmm. um, whether that's on broadcasts, you know, more in-car cameras, whether it's other graphics, whether it's other ways uh, sitting in front of the television or at a track to really soak up what's going on and understand it and, and get into the you know, the, the depths of it, and to kind of uh, have access to it in the way you like it. Uh, young people 
you know, may want to look at six in-car cameras and pick fun while they're uh, texting photos and, and tweeting and all of it at the same time. And so that's technology, too. But with respect to your question, um, you're right. Uh, I don't think... I don't think any major motorsports series is going to be back to the, the the very old days, a long, long time ago now, of build it and bring it. You know, um, uh, there is a got to be a balance that has to do with making sure the competition is compelling, but also that it's affordable for teams um, between open innovation and managed innovation. And I think we're going to, you know, we've been pretty far over on the, um, uh, uh, some people call it spec side of the spectrum. Um, we uh, expect to manage our way out of that. So Derek's presented a high-level outline for the next several years of ways to create innovation or windows, opportunity for some innovation. It shouldn't be exaggerated, but it shouldn't be underestimated. So that could have to do with some parts. Um, it could have to do, it will have to do with aero kits, and um, he'll be working with the teams and our engineers and technical people to be looking for the areas where we can open things up some, provide more competition um, for innovation and, and among suppliers, which hopefully will help limit the cost increases for teams as well. Speaking of, of the ability of, of teams to, to survive and their revenue they're bringing in, Right now, a lot of the support from the from IndyCar toward the teams is coming in in the way of the team. I guess you call it subsidy, or uh, you know their their financial reward for committing to the whole season, uh, which this year I believe was about 1.2 million, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, on the flip side of that, race payouts are are fairly minimal, and they're only paying out the top five. Uh, positions. Is that a program you see continuing long-term, or does IndyCar want to get back to a more of a race purse-driven uh, system? Another really good question. So that's called the Leader Circle Program, and you're right. It's a seven-figure kind of guaranteed payment from the series to teams which committed, in fact, race the, whole, the, full, uh, the full championship. Um, First of all, in the next few years, our ambition is to get to the point where maybe we can double uh, the value of that to the teams. We'd like that to be a more important source of revenue for them to add to slightly to the number of teams and certainly to the uh, financial stability of the teams that race the IndyCar series. But at the same time, um, I think for most sports fans, you want to see want to see uh, financial rewards for success. And so um, I, I think in a, in a different world, you know, every new dollar would go into uh, results-related um, compensation, call it prize money if you want. But right now I think we're at a place where we're going to – we'll have to defer that ambition and immediately – uh, when new monies are available, they're more likely to go into leader circle because that's really important to have the full complement of uh, strong teams in the series. And then when we get that to the place it needs to be, you can be sure our, our desire will be to add uh, a lot more for winners of 
podium finishes. Let, let me just make sure I understand what you said there. You were saying that in the next couple years, and call that two or call that four years, your hope is to double the leader circle uh, allocation to each entrant and expand the number of entrants uh, that would receive that, or would you keep that static at about 20 and make that a competitive uh, uh, a competitive number that uh, the top 20 out of, let's say, 26, 28 cars receive that subsidy? We've got an internal plan, and one of the things we've done over the course of this year is kind of stick a stake in the ground, but that isn't, you know, the business plan that is, you know, is in our budget, but it's our objective. It's our ambition. And with respect to this, for 2018, um, not that many years from now, um, our hope is that we could, we could have 22 to 24 teams participating uh, annually in the Leader Circle Cup program and uh, about double the compensation there per team. Okay. Wow. Very good. Uh, but you do not see over the next several years uh, the prize money uh, increasing substantially on a race by race basis. Is that correct? I don't think I don't see how that's feasible at this point. What about the Indianapolis 500? Right now, the winner's share there is about two and a half to three million. It has been for the last couple of years. Do you expect that to stay in a similar uh, magnitude as well? I think um, in the you know, I, on that, I won't comment. I, I don't have a point of view yet beyond about a year. But in the, for 2014, yes. And uh, you know, obviously, we'd like to push that up. Uh, I, I don't know how how far, how fast at this point. Okay. Let's, let's change gears here just shortly, and uh, let's talk about this schedule. There's been a lot of controversy. Uh, the 2014 schedule ending very early this year, um, late August, I believe, is the, the finale. And then IndyCar officially goes into a about a six or seven month off season. Um, and you've talked about uh, about a uh, a winter series or an international series in that in that time frame. And we'll we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but long term, let's say let's look at 15, 16, and beyond that. When do you expect that schedule to to begin and end on a on an annual basis where would you like that to be i, I guess i should ask well let's say 2015 because that's just around the corner and it's something we're working actively on right now my hope would be that in 2015 the north american schedule would begin uh earlier in in march than than we will in 2014 at st pete so I don't know whether that's a couple weeks or a little more, but I, I see March generally as uh, North American races. But prior to that, in 2015, essentially in February, but if it was the last week of January, you know, uh, into February, that, that could work. We, we're looking for three strong international races that would be the first races in the championship. So it's not a separate series. It's all the IndyCar Championship. It's just that we think there's an important opportunity, particularly important economic opportunity, in some international markets. So why not in February, where we don't have a lot of uh, options for climate in, in, a, in the States, why not go abroad and 
So I see the championship being all of February, March, April, May, June, July, and August, a seven-month series that we think would be um, uh, uh, a very full schedule and uh, and an important economic opportunity in, in the way of those international expansions. Now, regarding the winter series in the, in the early uh, end of that, Mario Andretti uh, was quoted earlier this week or maybe last week, and I think it was in in Autosport, Auto News, I forget exactly which publication, but he was quite critical of of the early um, early end of the season and and taking on this international side of things beyond the the normal uh, IndyCar season. How do you respond to some, when somebody like Mario Andretti, who's obviously still a living legend and carries a lot of weight when it comes to opinions of the in the auto racing community? How do you respond to when when he comes out with his statements as he did? Well, first, with a lot of respect, which Mario richly deserves uh, for everything he's done for the sport and for IndyCar racing. So uh, his uh, his experience and his views are important and they matter to us. doesn't mean that we'll always agree. Um, and, in fact, without going into the details, uh, I, I think we'll have uh, another more extended opportunity to trade views uh, soon beginning of this coming year. But saying that into the substance, um, look, in, in a way, it's like, our, from my perspective, like our, our brand overexpanded. This isn't a perfect analogy, but we've got to make sure that the races that we have are as strong as they can be. And we've got to make sure that, on average, ratings are in, increasing, attendance is increasing. And I think your... your uh, fans and, and will understand that more is not necessarily better. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that's particularly true, at least for now. It doesn't mean that it'll be this way forever, that um, we, we should focus on February through Labor Day for the championship. And it is in part because it is very, very difficult to get television ratings up. Uh, as American sports fans understand, after the NFL and college football start. They're not our only competition. There's a lot of competition, and some other racing continues, but it's not like they're killing it in terms of their ratings uh, once uh, they get past Labor Day. So we want to we sort of segment this and, and, and strengthen core, and perhaps someday uh, we're in a position where we can be uh, – we can have a longer schedule. But seven months of, you know, regular racing is a lot, and, it's, and that's, a, that's a big proposition for the teams as well. And I think for fans, which is, you know, maybe the most important part of this consideration, if you're a hardcore race fan, you'll watch racing anytime you can get it, and thank goodness that's terrific. But if we're trying to capture fans, um, it's not an unusual idea that seasons matter and they've got a beginning and an end. Uh, and they don't necessarily gauge their success or their growth by how much of the calendar year they can occupy. I think that has a tendency to dilute us a little bit for now at least. And that's where we were coming from. But then the thought is, okay, but. So now we finished the championship, and it's the beginning of September, and we've raced consistently for seven months, a pretty strong schedule in 2015. 
maybe in the short term there's an opportunity to try something that would probably not be part of the championship, not not points. So we want the championship to culminate in, in the states. Uh, but maybe there is still a market for some additional smaller series. I, I've never called it the winter series because we could be in the southern hemisphere and it's summer down there. But uh, you know, think Asia, and and I think there may be an appetite for IndyCar racing to be introduced. Um, and again, I think uh, there's a, a value proposition internationally that is different than Formula One. We're not looking to go head-to-head uh, for Formula One races. We're looking at other markets, but there's lots of them around the world that seem to have some appetite for open-wheel racing. And if we could bring more money into the sport with a kind of sponsored series, say three races over four weeks into October, um, I don't think we're in the short term giving up a lot in the States. I think it could be uh, lucrative for the teams and the series. At that point, you're talking about um, an eight, nine-month racing season, which is a huge departure from where we've been. And, you know, we've got to work into that carefully. So for now, for 15, our focus is very much on extending the start of the championship into February internationally and having it culminate as much strength as possible around Labor Day in the States. Maybe after that, uh, we would focus on uh, another sponsored series uh, in the Asia-Pacific Rim area for just about three races a month. So in calendar year 14, after the IndyCar series wraps up at the end of August, are you saying you do not expect to have future races at the end of 14, September, October, November, uh, on an international plate, those would be probably be pushed back to to the early 2015. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. There is one conversation going on where I can imagine a kind of one-off, one-time possibility of a non-points race after Labor Day internationally. That's not something I can go into at the moment, but it's a kind of one-off thing that is not strategic for us. The strategy is add February internationally as part of the championship and ended uh, championship Labor Day weekend in the States in uh, 2015. Now, without getting into specifics, obviously, unless you care to do so, but are there specific tracks or markets that you've already engaged with uh, concerning this international? You you broadly mentioned Asia. Um, Some people have also mentioned either South America or Europe. Are there specific markets that you've already had in-depth conversations on regarding these races? I'll elaborate a little bit. We're not looking at Europe. Uh, and again, there's, there's a number of reasons, but you can start with climate. Mm-hmm. In February, there aren't a lot of places you're going to race in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm not particularly focused on Asia in that championship race uh, February period. We think the, the greater potential for Asia might be a three-race sponsored series after the championship ends in the fourth quarter of the calendar year. Now, we're looking anywhere from the Middle East to more in South America, all the way down to South Africa. and um, That's a big swath of the globe, and there are active conversations that are encouraging and uh, 
you know, we'll see. Uh, nothing, I, I, I'm not the least bit cavalier about this, but there are no guarantees of success, but we believe there's an important opportunity there. I'll, I'll ask this because I know a lot of fans will want to know, is there, is Australia possibly part of any of these plans going back to Surfer's Paradise, the Gold Coast area, as part of what the uh, the V8 Supercar Series is doing down there now? Well, I didn't see it for myself, but I've heard a lot of great things about uh, our, our open wheel racing and Surfer's Paradise in prior years, and we've had some conversations with them. Uh, I think uh, we're looking for the strongest possible situations uh, for races, and if that included Australia, uh, that would be fabulous, but time will tell. Okay. Mark, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. Let me just finish with one question here for the fans. Um, your predecessor was very out front with the fans and very engaging on Twitter, on Facebook. I really reached out to them a lot. Um, thus far in your first year, you're not quite as, as out front with the fans. What's the best way for fans to get in contact with you and, and share their feelings and opinions if, if there's uh, – directions of the series or, or features and things that they would really like to get a hold of you. What's the best way that they can do that? Well, first in the way of explanation, I, I don't have any ambition for IndyCar to be about Mark Miles. IndyCar needs to be much more about our drivers and our teams and our racing. And, uh, and that explains some of why I'm not eager to be tweeting mm -hmm. and seeing how big my following can be. <laughs> um, there's also just practical constraints about the amount of time of the day, and, and we've got a lot to do. But it, it is important to us that we do understand that we're constantly searching for great ideas and that we have our finger on the pulse of, uh, you know, uh, fans' views. So... Um, I, I think the short people can underestimate and maybe guess incorrectly about whether I have a Twitter account that's not in my name and whether I'm reading this stuff. <laughs> but uh, an active dialogue is is, uh, is another matter. You know, we we I read and I and I have people who uh, uh, are constantly scouring uh, all the all the blogs and all the public forums and. Uh, you know, I feel like if there's an idea out there I haven't heard that I'm that I'm mad at me. So they don't have to give it to me personally to know that we got it. If they're discussing and conversing socially and otherwise, we're scouring those uh, forums, always trying to understand the pulse of, of fans' opinions and looking for good ideas. So uh, for now, at least, I hope that suffices. Very well, very well. Well, Mark Miles, CEO of Holman & Company, we certainly appreciate all the time you spent with us today. You've given us some great information, and we certainly look forward to a very exciting uh, 2014 and, and what all IndyCar has to provide this year. I'd be happy to do it more often. Thanks for the opportunity. All right, thank you, Mark. You have a great day, a great holiday, and we'll catch up with you soon.